Amen. Well, Nick Walenda has become the most watched high wire artist and daredevil in the world. His feats have been seen by literally billions of people across the globe. In recent years, you might have heard Walenda about Walenda walking on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. He was the first person to high wire walk across the Grand Canyon. He traversed a, a high wire between two skyscrapers in Chicago. And most recently, he crossed over the open mouth of a live volcano in Nicaragua. Here's a, a picture of him doing that, right over the live volcano. Now, I found an article about him that was very interesting. It was about pride and humility. And Walenda knows that he is tempted by pride. He understands that the lure of the crowds is what motivates him. And so after the huge crowds and the media fades away, he engages in a simple spiritual discipline. He walks where the crowds have just gathered to watch him, and he quietly picks up trash. Listen to his words. My purpose is simply to help clean up after myself. The huge crowd left a great deal of trash behind, and I feel compelled to pitch in. Besides, after the inordinate amount of attention I sought and received, I need to keep myself grounded. Three hours of cleaning up debris is good for my soul. Humility does not come naturally to me, and so if I have to force myself into situations that are humbling, so be it. I know that I need to get down on my hands and knees like everyone else. I do it because it's a way to keep from tripping. I do it because I don't, if I don't serve others, I'll be serving nothing but my ego. I thought those were very wise words. Today, our focus is on humility before God. We're looking at Psalm 131. It's one of the, the series of psalms that the ancient Israelites, you'll remember, chose to sing as they would make their way up to Jerusalem for the various festivals. And this psalm and the others like it that we've explored, we remember, are called the Psalms of Ascent. These psalms enable those ancient Hebrew people to prepare their hearts for a time of reflection and sacrifice and worship. And so we're taking these ancient songs and prayers and we're applying them to our modern life as we journey, not to Jerusalem, but we journey following Jesus towards our final destination that we call eternity with him. And so this morning, I'd like to invite you to read together with me Psalm 131. Let's read it together. Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes arrogant, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. I have certainly soothed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child resting against his mother, my soul within me is like a weaned child. Israel, wait for the Lord from this time on and forever." Amen. Psalm 131. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon referred to Psalm 131 as one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. 
he said that it's a short ladder, yet one that rises to great height. Psalm 131 is the song of a person who is the picture of contentment and composure. It's the psalm of a a person who understands their place in this world and their position before God. In the psalm, we see just how the attitude of humility before God comes about. And it all begins with realizing the value of humility. Let me read again verse 1. It says, Lord, my heart is not proud nor my eyes arrogant, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. That's a statement of humility. The root of humility, the word, comes from the core word humus. Humus is the dark organic matter that forms in the soil when plant and animal matter decays. You don't get much more humble than that, do you? Humus refers to that which is lowly, that which is underneath our feet. Humus and humility are words to remind us, to remind us that from the earth we came and one day to the earth we will return. And so King David's words here in verse one are expressive words of humility. David is neither haughty nor is he self-absorbed. He doesn't place himself on a pedestal to look down on people. He doesn't chase things that are too great or too difficult for him. Instead, instead, he spends his time living as one of God's loved and blessed children. He spends his time around still waters, confident that his heavenly father will take great care of him. We could say that David is at peace. He's at peace with God and himself and with others. We could even say that the things of this life are not overwhelming to him because he has come to understand it's not his problem to fix everything or even to understand everything. You know, we all face times when we are tempted, tempted to be prideful, to be arrogant, to be self-centered, when we want to control everything, to fix everything, to adjust everything to the way that we think it ought to be. And that is the opposite of humility. It is pride. And there is no rest in that place. Here's just a few examples where we might get off track. We all want everything in our house to work all the time. And when it doesn't, we get irritated. We want anybody that we pay to fix something, to be honest and quick and inexpensive. And they better get it done fast. We want our life at the office or the school or the job site to go well. We want to be well-liked. We want to receive rewards or grades or a pay raise. We want others to look at us with respect or esteem or admiration. We want better health and more money and more days off. We want more appreciation from our spouse or our kids or our boss or our coworkers and on the list could go. And if we're not careful, 
all of those wants turn into noise. They turn into the noise of selfish ambition and anxiety and irritation. And they cause us to begin to think that we are some sort of a pedestal person who gets to look down on all the people living around us. And that attitude gets us into believing that either we deserve more or our wants and our opinions and our ideas are more valuable than those of others. It's that kind of noise that King David has determined to get rid of through Psalm 131. It's the noise of fretting, of being self-preoccupied, of being easily offended, of being competitive or comparing what you have with others, whether it be what you're wearing or how you look. It's the noise, the noise of having to be in first place or the noise of having to think that we're right and someone else is wrong. And this thinking This noise is not the way of humility. It is the way of stress and anxiety and, yes, pride. And so what we see described in Psalm 131 is that King David has learned through humility how to be comfortable in his own skin. You know, the early Christian theologian Augustine listed the three greatest virtues of Christianity. And he said they were humility, humility, and number three, you guessed it, humility. Well, David opens this song by acknowledging his humility. He's not proud of being humble. It's, he's not like Linus in that Peanuts cartoon I remember when one day he tells Charlie Brown, oh yeah? Well, I'm twice as humble as you are. No, David understands his place. And it's significant that it is the mighty and the powerful King David who compares himself to a child in its mother's arms. And so that leads us then to the next observation. Not only is humility valuable, but humility is rooted in contentment. Listen again to verse 2. I have certainly soothed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child resting against his mother, my soul within me is like a weaned child. You know, in the ancient times of the Israelite people in which David writes, children were not fully weaned until they were two or three years old. And the, the completion of the weaning was often celebrated with family and friends at a feast. A weaned child was one who was said to be content, not anxious, not demanding, but filled and nourished and satisfied, resting quietly beside that nurturing mother. The process of nurturing a young child, of weaning a young child, often is not a smooth one. There can be a lot of crying and distress and demands. And likewise, when we think about our own life, it's not easy to quiet ourselves, is it? 
particularly when we feel that we are being denied something that we want or some right that we believe that we deserve. But weaning is a necessary stage of our spiritual growth. And it's when we struggle with these feelings, these thoughts, that we have to remind ourselves that our faith in Christ has very little to do with feeling. Growth is a part of life. We are no longer infants. We are called to be growing in our faith. We are in continually new stages of development. And weaning is necessary if we are to mature in this journey. If we are to move from milk to solid food, And in doing so, learn to be content. We understand that our humility is rooted in that contentment. Pride kills contentment. It kills our attitude of thanksgiving. But when we admit that God is the source of every blessing, then we turn in gratitude and we give him the credit. Proud people are seldom grateful because they don't think they're getting as much as they deserve. You know, it was just a few weeks ago that many people around our country enjoyed turkey dinners and football games and gatherings with family and friends. But many of them did that without a word of thanks. But true humility produces thankfulness not just on one day of of the year, but as a normal aspect of our daily living. We don't even need a designated day to be thankful because the humble person is grateful all the time. We don't take our blessings for granted and we certainly don't think that we are the source of our own prosperity. And so that is what true contentment looks like. You know, babies initially regard their mother as a means of satisfying their needs. Food, protection, warmth. But gradually, they learn to love their mothers because of a relationship. And in the same way, we must learn to live with God and trust him because he becomes a vital part of our life. Not simply because of what we can get from him, but because we are in relationship. And we learn then to simply appreciate God for who he is. And this is where contentment begins and where humility is formed. Humility is clearly understanding that we're not in charge And it is being rooted in contentment. And then finally, humility is focused in trust. It's focused in trust. Listen to verse 3 one more time. David says, Israel, wait for the Lord from this time on and forever. Trusting in, waiting on the Lord. It doesn't mean that we cling to God in some anxious dependency or insecurity like that hungry, screaming infant, but that instead we are trusting God out of the calm assurance that He'll never leave us and that from this time on 
and forever that he's with us. And so in order to wait for the Lord, we have to recognize our own dependence on God. To be proud means to regard ourself as being elevated. One of the, the descriptive words for prideful thinking often used in scripture is haughty. The word haughty comes from the word high. Think about that for a moment. Think about the spirit of this world that we live in. The spirit that tells us to get ahead, to strive for upward mobility, to climb the ladder. But if we are truly to pursue a life of humility so that we're not looking down on people, sometimes we need some downward mobility. Before we put our hope in the Lord, we have to come to a, a place of understanding our hope is not in ourselves. And who better to teach us this than King David? King David knew that the only hope for Israel was the Lord. And if life had taught this man anything, it was this foundational truth. He knew what it meant to defeat giants and to ascend to the palace. He knew what it meant to go from the sheepfolds to the highest of men's thrones. He knew what it meant to amass millions and millions in gold and silver. He knew what it meant to hold men's lives in the palm of his hand. He understood all of that. But he also knew that in a matter of seconds, everything, everything can turn to dust and ashes. He knew that one day a king could find himself barefoot and running for his life because his own son wanted to kill him. He knew what it meant to rebel against the Lord and then suffer greatly for that rebellion. He knew what it meant to have the lofty aspirations of his own children be crushed in heartache and despair and premature death. And in all of that, in all of that, David knew that the key to experience a life of trust in the Lord, a life of waiting on the Lord, was to be steadfastly grounded in the Lord. David knew that the key to life was to put one's hope in God, the God of Israel. Wait for the Lord, Israel, from this time on and forever. Wait for the God who rescues and renews and restores. David knew that for himself and for his kingdom that their trust must be in the Lord. For only out of that kind of trust comes real courage and strength and ultimate victory. And that knowledge, that trust, that hope that David passed on to ancient Israel, he passes on to us as well. The truth of the matter is that our only hope resides in the Lord. When we look to ourself or to other people, or to the government, or to any other source, we lapse into prideful self-reliance. Only he is our strength. He is the creator. He is the alpha and omega. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. 
As I was preparing the message, I came across this great quote that I, I put down here. It says, ego builds a cardboard fortress that humility must every day tear down. Think about that for a moment. Pride seeks to cut us off from others. It seeks to put us into this fortress. And it's an illusion of safety. It's an illusion of control. But it's made out of cardboard. It's temporary and it's weak. And so this morning, the Lord invites us to the life that King David experienced as recorded in Psalm 131. It is the life of realized humility. It is the life of true contentment, and it is the life of knowing that our hope is in the Lord as we wait together and as each day we tear down our cardboard fortresses to wait on the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this beautiful